Śrīmad-Bhāgavatam is the mature fruit on the tree of Vedic wisdom. And we're invited at the very beginning of the Bhagavatam to drink the semi-solid juice of the Bhagavatam. There's no pit or seed. It's perfectly palatable. And the result is that we get a higher taste. Now, throughout the Bhagavatam, we may find subject matters that seem to be a little bit caustic in the sense that we hear about the anomalies that are inherent in material existence. And to one who has a desire to maintain the status quo, such presentations may seem a little jarring. Like, why are you disturbing or why are you criticizing material life? Can't you guys say anything positive? Well, the Bhagavatam's all positive, but the material world, unfortunately, is very disadvantageous, an awkward situation for living entities. And therefore, the Bhagavatam, like a friend, is coaxing us away from the material existence by revealing to us what it actually is, what it really looks like. And the beauty of that is that if one invests one's hearing power in listening to the Srimad Bhagavatam carefully, one will become divested of the idea that the material world is a place where I can find happiness. And simultaneously, the Bhagavatam gives us information of the relationships and beauty of the spiritual world. It's, the spiritual world is full of uh, color, smell, sense, movement, drama, dance. And all of that is the original color, sound, the sense of the spiritual world. These are the permanent, lasting uh, features that we're looking for. Whereas in the material world, they're constantly diminished because of the power of time and they're washed away again and again. So on one side, we're shown the folly of just accepting the material existence to be true. And the Bhagavatam does it in, in such an artful way by taking us through one nested story after another, we find that in the beginning, Srila Vyasadeva is giving the framing of the Bhagavatam what it is, that it's going to be an exposition on the Gayatri, and it's an expansion of the Vedanta Sutra. And then there's some 
conversation that takes place at Naimasarnya. This, the mind gets taken away by this story. The sages have gathered and we want to hear what they're going to say. And the best kinds of questions are being asked. For instance, what's the highest good for all people? Do, doesn't somebody want to hear that? And most of the press conferences nowadays, everyone's looking for some kind of fault in somebody else and what will sell, uh, try to get a reaction. But the Bhagavatam starts off in a way that really catches our attention that what's the greatest good for all humanity? That activity by which their souls may be satisfied. And then the conversation at Naimusarnya, imagine in a forest and there's a great sage, uh, Sutta Goswami, who's been promoted to the position of speaking to all these sages under very interesting circumstances, by the way. His father, Romaharshan, had taken that position and had been sitting in front of the sages until Balaram came on his pilgrimage and he noted that Romaharshan, Sutta Goswami's father, didn't stand up. Although he was on the Vyasasana, was Romaharshan, and Balaram entered. Normally, one doesn't have to get up from, them from the Vyasasana, but if it's the Supreme Personality of Godhead, you better get up. Because the full purpose of one speaking there is to exalt the Personality of Godhead. And if one then doesn't show respect, it's an indication that although one may have great learning of the Puranas and may know logic and so forth, it, it's it's to no end. It doesn't have the proper conclusion because the proper conclusion is that one, as Krishna says in the Gita, Bahunam Jamanamante Gyanavamam Prapadyate Vasudeva Sarvamiti Samahatma Sudulabaha. One comes to the point of understanding that Krishna is everything and surrendering. So there was no surrender in Romaharshan. He was puffed up by his learning. And Balaram noticed that, so he executed him with a little kusha blade. He just picked it up and tapped him, and he was dead. So Balaram doesn't need uh, to uh, do anything more demonstrative than that. The sages then, of course, wondered out loud, why'd you do that? We'd given him a long life. And Balaram said, well, let's see how we can fix this. And they suggested that he transfer the benediction of long life to his son, Sutta. So Sutta Goswami then became the next one to sit on the Vyasasana. And there was uh, an introduction of Sutta Goswami. The... The reason that Sutta is that the sages give for Sutta being qualified, Veta Tom Somyutat Sarvam Tatfatas Tadanugrahat, Bruyu Snigdasya Sishasya Guruvo Kuyamaputa. You've learned all the secrets of your teachers because Veta Tom Saumya, because you're Saumya, your gentle soul. 
Somya Tat Sarvam, Tat Anugrahat, you followed the footsteps uh, and the process of learning. Bruyus Nigdashishishasya. And because you pleased your, your teachers, your gurus, therefore they imparted to you all the inner meanings of the Vedas. So you know all these things. And then they asked, Burini Budi Karmani Shrotavyani Vibhagasha. So there's so many things to learn. Do you all feel like that sometimes? Too many things? What, so they're asking similar. They said so many uh, things to hear and learn. And especially in the, in the Vedas, there's so many branches. Uh, what are we supposed to prioritize? And uh, what's the most important and then they say, ye not ma supersedity, that by hearing it, by learning this one thing, then all people's hearts will become satisfied. Ye not ma supersedity. And they want to know, why did Krishna come to the world? What's the purpose? And they also want to know, kova bhagavatastasya punyashulkedikamana, that who is there uh, desiring deliverance from the Iron Age of Kali who won't hear this, who won't listen to you? I mean, the, the atmosphere is electrified. So they're wondering, is there anybody around anywhere uh, now or in the future that's not going to be interested in this? Who might that be? What are the circumstances? Why someone wouldn't want to hear this? So then, of course, Sutta Goswami begins to speak. And in the second chapter, he gives a summary of what's in the Bhagavatam and why it's important and how by hearing the Bhagavatam itself, one purifies one's heart because Krishna is there within the heart and he's the vidhunoti and he's the well-wisher of the living entity. And when he sees somebody applying him or herself to the process of hearing, then he helps from within the heart to give intelligence and to move away the, the anartas that were lodged there within the heart life after life. And he explains, does Sutta Goswami, that when one practices devotional service, beginning with hearing and chanting, then one automatically gets knowledge and detachment from the world. That if you follow in the footsteps of great souls who were liberated, then you yourself will become liberated. That the, the devotees, they, although they respect the demigods, there's millions and millions of demigods, and People for, for millennia have worshipped demigods for various purposes. As Krishna says in the Gita, And when they, people have material desires, then they think, oh, I need this, I need that, I want this, I want that. And they worship different demigods. And Sutta says, well, the devotees, they worship, they, they appreciate the demigods as part and parcels, but they don't um, entertain them. Uh, their, their purpose is Vasudev. Uh, he's the goal. He's the method. Everything is about Vasudev. And he goes on to explain how the Lord, in very quick summary, creates this material world and then enters into it himself. So uh, through, the, through his... Uh, subtle 
um, form as the Paramatma. He enters into every atom and into the heart of every living entity. And he's there assisting the, the soul in trying to fulfill his material desires. And then finally, he says, he's, he goes into every species of life. And in the next chapter, he gives a description of the different incarnations of Krishna who come like waves on the ocean that are constantly coming. And they're, they're all good. They're from beyond the modes of material nature. In other words, they're not part of the, they're not manufactured by the mode of goodness. They're transcendental to the material world altogether. And they come to attract the living entities and to purify them. Krishna says in the Gita, yada yadahi dharmasya gvanir bhavati parata. He's coming to rectify. So Krishna's all good. He's constantly trying to deliver the living entities. And then there's a description of Narada and Vyasadeva and how they meet and uh, how Narada becomes who he is. And then uh, Vyasadeva meeting him and asking, you know, how do I do my service properly? And Narada telling him how to understand uh, what to say. Uh, you have to actually see this for yourself, the Lord, Krishna himself, and describe it to other people. So that's what he does. So then you get all the other cantos mentioning the various instances where the Lord appears or empowered representatives appear in the world, juxtaposed with the complexities of material life. The way Chitriketu encountered a sudden death of his little son, and it all had to do with intrigue in the palace, envy of his co-wives killing the child, and so forth. I mean, you might say this sounds sensational, but actually it's the stuff of news every day <laughs> here in the material world. And to spare one from just the titillation of listening to everyday news, we hear the, the, the Bhagavatam and it represents all the different ways in which we can become confounded by our interaction with the material nature and our relationships in the material world. So much so that by going through the Bhagavatam systematically and coming to the ninth canto, one then feels, I've done all this already. It's like a vaccine. You know, the body, when it gets a vaccine, it, it uh, goes through the motions. It, it attacks because it says, oh, there's an invader here and it has a particular characteristic and it, the body develops a, a way to attack it and puts up its defenses very mightily uh, against it. So then when the, the real invader comes, it's uh, the body's on, already on high alert. Sorry, can't come in. Uh, you know, this novel virus, people weren't ready for it. The bodies, nobody's ever experienced it. No body has experienced it yet. So there are no defenses for it. So if one just takes material life without Bhagavatam, it's like getting the novel coronavirus. No defense, nothing ready. When you read Bhagavatam, then you're ready. You say, oh, I've seen that before. Like the scene in, uh, the scene in Paranjan, he's looking for a place. Ah, I want to be happy. I want to enjoy. And that's what everybody does. I, I, what if we got a house over here? What if we got a little place there? What if we got two places, three places, and an airplane? And, you know, Paranjan's looking everywhere. 
in Bart Varsha, he finally finds a place and he goes there. It's beautiful. There's a park. And then the plot thickens like every movie that you've ever seen in your life and a uh, boy meets girl. And then, you know, he meets this uh, beautiful woman and says, well, hi, how are you? And she says, well, I'm fine. How are you? And there you go. They're off and running. And uh, that's, you know, something that if you're not forewarned about that, that uh, there's consequences here, sir, madam, uh, then, uh, you know, you just go headlong. No, va no vaccination. You're straight into it. And that's what most people do. Right into the material world. Here's a blind well. I'll just jump in head first as hard as I can. Geez, what's wrong now? <laughs> Why aren't I happy? Well, you see, it has to do with jumping in a blind well head first and hitting your head on the rocks down below. That's the problem. So Bhagavatam tells us, you hear the story instead. The vaccine goes in and you understand, oh, this is how the material energy works. But it doesn't leave us there like most so-called spiritual philosophies, which simply eradicate material desire and say, don't, don't live, don't die. <laughs> uh, they say, don't have material desires. Well, that's not possible according to Bhagavatam. And that's big news because through mental speculation, most people come to this idea that if I eradicate material desire, then I'll be happy. In fact, most people very unrealistically, I might add, think that spiritual life means that I'll renounce everything. And they know full well they're not going to do that. That's why if they're talking to somebody about spiritual life and they'll say, yeah, it's all about renunciation, right? Well, they don't have any intention of doing that. It means they don't have any intention of getting involved in spiritual life. How could they, based on the fact that they have a vested interest in the material world that's so deep that they won't be able on their own to get rid of that vested interest after millions of lifetimes. There's no way out. Until one gets untangled, as Bhagavatam says, one has to cut the knot. The Bhagavatam does that. It uh, cuts through the hard knot in the heart that says somehow or other, there's got to be a way to enjoy this material world. And then that knot is, knot is cut by the deafness of the Bhagavatam in its descriptions of the myriad ways in which every conditioned soul tries to enjoy the material world from kings down to lepers and, uh, and people who are destitute. Every one of them has a hard time of it in the material world. However, uh, woven throughout these descriptions, spiritual knowledge ex explaining exactly why this is happening, that we are, for instance, uh, you've got bondage in a body, in a sharira, because you've colored your consciousness. And that's what's carrying you from one body to the next. And you're being carried by the software. And you're moving in in various situations, and you're doing it to yourself. So take a little responsibility to reform 
your consciousness. So then how to do that? All the way to the ninth canto, where there's a crescendo happening, which is leading up to the appearance of Lord Krishna in the, in the 10th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And there, Parikshit Maharaj asks about Krishna's appearance in the Yadu dynasty. And Shukadev Go says, Nivrtatar Sharupa Giyamana Bhavaushadas Chotra Manobirama Kuutama Shloka Gunanavada Puman Virajeta Vina Pashugnat. So one of the questions that was answered asked early in the Bhagavatam in the first chapter, Kova Bhagavatasya Tasya Punyashloke Dikarmana, who is there desiring deliverance from the Iron Age of Kali who won't listen to this? And here he answers, he says, Pashugnat. Somebody, especially hunters, someone who's going after big game, they're not going to be interested in Bhagavatam. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names of any lowlifes who actually go out and hunt big animals, people you've probably heard of, but uh, these are the lowest people on earth. And their consciousness is so degraded that they would kill other living entities, uh, go hunting for them when they don't have to. Uh, these are they're disqualified. They can't hear it. And people who are killing themselves, they're determined, as Prahlad Maharaj says, uh, to they have a vrut that I'm staying in the material world and I don't care how hard it is or how many times I have to die, I'm staying in here. <laughs> these people can't go. But Nivrtatarsha, who gets to go on this journey back home, back to Godhead, leave the dark material world full of death behind? Nivrtatarsha upagiyamana. Nivrtatarsha are those whose desire to enjoy the material world has loosened. They have this sense that uh, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm not thirsty for the material world. They're also not against it either. Krishna says in the 11th canto later on that perfect for bhakti are those, they're not so renounced that they're in a militant way denying the senses, nor are they interested in the material world anymore either. So they're right in the middle path and they can easily take the bhakti. So then there's three kinds of people. There's those who are liberated, those who are trying to become liberated and those who are entangled in the material world. And the Bhagavatam is good for all of them. And so in the process of uh, describing this, pro, uh, the, the way that one becomes liberated from the material world, Shukadeva Goswami says, that the medicine, bhava ashaudi, the way that you get cured from the material disease altogether and all the ills of the material world, bhava ashaudi, it's the panacea for everything here in this material world is by hearing Srimad Bhagavatam. It gives great pleasure to the ears. Except for those people who are killing animals and killing themselves. So, 10th canto then, we hear about the appearance of Lord Krishna uh, the drama begins of Lord Krishna himself appearing in this world. And there's a lead up to it. 
and it's that uh, Devaki and Vasudev are just married. Imagine they're riding in a chariot and Devaki's brother is driving the chariot for her. And then here's an omen from the sky. It's the demigods. They're trying to induce Krishna to appear. And they announce to Kamsa that you're a fool because you're driving the chariot for your sister, but the eighth child is going to kill you. Her eighth child will kill you. So Kamsa, being a demoniac person, uh, stops driving, grabs her hair, pulls out his sword, is about to kill her. And then Vasudev has to convince him not to. So he describes how if you do this, it'll ruin your reputation. That's one thing. And the other thing he says is that uh, you, you're going to get a bad karma for this. <laughs> Come on, you're going you're gonna to kill a woman and your own sister? I mean, not just bad reputation. In your next life, you're going to pay for this dearly in karma. But amazingly, Kamsa is not affected by these things. That's how strong the desire to enjoy the material world is. People get swept away by the material desires, and they'll, they'll do anything. Uh, so finally, he tells them that, okay, you can avoid those other things, and, and plus, I'll give you the children one by one when they're born, and you can do with them as you wish. So you have nothing to worry right now. And he did that for saving the life of Devaki. And then, of course, Kamsa agreed to that, and because uh, it sounded like the best deal for him. And these, this the dramatic opening scene, the Bhagavatam, besides the demigods, and this, this is actually, you know, from Mahabharata, that the earth planet became a congregation place for demoniac people. It was like a hiding place in the universe. They are all amassing here and getting... Uh, uh, nourished here on the earth planet the demoniac forces of the universe so all this is happening at one time when lord krishna appears what a dramatic scene so so the precursor to krishna's appearing as bumi appears in the form of a cow and she comes to brahma with tears in her eyes and says you know this is horrible what's happening here on the earth such a sacred place Bhart Varsha, and it's being destroyed by these demoniac people. And can you do something? So Brahma then goes with the other demigods to the shore of the Milk Ocean in, the, in this universe and offers prayers. Uh, Purushukta, and uh, Prabhupada says other devotional prayers, and gets information from within the heart from Lord Krishna that I'll be appearing. And Tapriyartam, you should tell all the other higher beings to appear the wives of the demigods demigods they should all appear before me to set the stage for my appearance and then of course i'll just tell one other little part and that is that just before krishna's appearance of course devaki has six children to begin with and kamsa ends up killing every one of them out of self-interest, self-preservation. That was his idea to kill every one of them. And then the seventh 
is what he thinks and everybody else thinks is a miscarriage, but it's actually that Sankarshan, Balaram, took birth within the womb of Devaki, but he's transferred to his real mother, Rohini, by the power of Yogamaya, because Krishna tells Yogamaya to go. And he said, uh, very easily, you can transfer Sankarshan to the womb of Rohini. So then they thought, it's a miscarriage. That is, Kamsa thought it. Everyone was wondering what's going on. And then finally, Krishna takes birth, the eighth child, but Kamsa never sees it because it happens at night, at midnight. And then, as you know, by Yogamaya, he, he Vasudeva, is able to go out of the prison and take baby Krishna to um, Vraj and exchange for the girl who had been born to Yashoda. She didn't notice because of Yogamaya also. So he came back with a girl, did Vasudev. Went back in the prison, and then in the morning, baby crying, Kamsa comes running. Devaki says, don't do it, don't do it. It's a girl, she's not going to hurt you. But Kamsa's so demoniac, he picks her up and tries to dash her head on the stone. And she kicks him in the head and flies up into the sky and said, Kamsa, you idiot. Uh, the child's already born. He's there already in the Vraj. And so, first of all, Kamsa becomes impressed because he's a worshiper of Durga. And he thought, my sister gave birth to Durga. She's pretty good. And then he went on an all-out campaign to kill all the children in the Vraj. And then, of course, we see the influx of Kamsa's friends, starting with Putana and uh, Trinavarta, Shakatasura and Trinavarta and all the demons one after another trying to kill Krishna and then Krishna killing them. Prabhupada said he did more killing than he did loving even. So much killing. But it's all ecstatic because everything Krishna does is good. So one of the points made in this section is that the children, they're called the Shadgarva Asuras, that were born from Devaki. In previous life, they were sons of Kalanami who was a demon killed by Vishnu. Now, in that life, they had a relationship with Yurati Kashipu, and they had disrespected him, at least in, in Yurati Kashipu's mind, he had been disrespected because these six children went to Brahma and tried to get their own benedictions and powers to not be killed by anybody. But he took exception to that, said, why didn't you come to me? Why did you go to Brahma? And I mean, there are people like that hanging around the earth nowadays that, that are this unreasonable. And, and they, so, you know, so he cursed them. He said, in your next life, you'll be born from your present father in the next life. And uh, excuse me, you'll be born and, and your father from this life in your next life will kill each one of you. That was the, that was the curse. And so it turned out that Kalanami, who had been killed, by Vishnu took birth as Kamsa. And then when each one of these children was born, then Kamsa killed his previous children one after another. So what's, how does that matter? I mean, how does that relate to us? According to Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, as related by Prabhupada, he says that each one of these uh, sadgarbas, shadgarbas, they represent kam, krod, lobe, 
Mata, Moha, and Matsarya. Those are the big six that contaminate the, the consciousness of the living entity and, and perpetuate its stay in the material world. And so when uh, Devaki was aware that the Supreme Personality of God was going to take birth from her womb, she was constantly in fear of Kamsa that Kamsa would come and kill the child. What to speak of her other children? I mean, it's, it's horrific, actually. And so Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says, the fear that Devaki had represents the fear that a devotee has of the material existence. And that we should be on a high alert during this lifetime and be afraid of the material world. Don't cozy up here and think, ah, it's just a fanaticism, you know. You don't, don't get so serious about spiritual life. It's not, uh, it's not that important. You know, you got to balance it out and um, uh, come on, you could die at any minute. At any second, anybody can just uh, be transferred from this body to another body. And if, if you're not prepared, material nature is on automatic and you just get transferred to the next place. And who knows what far-flung place you're going to go to. This is serious business. And a devotee who wakes up to that reality has this kind of persistent awareness that this is a dangerous place. And they're constantly saying, oh, Krishna, please help me. Oh, Krishna, please help me. I mean, they don't walk around and uh, display neuroses everywhere they go by uh, pretending, you know, just um, not uh, engaging properly with other people, but they keep that guarded sense about them that anything can happen in the material world, and therefore I always have to take shelter of Krishna. So this is what Prabhupada says, uh, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur is, is um, bringing out in his teachings about this pastime, is that uh, the Kam Krod Lob, Mata Moha and Matsarya, that they are represented by the Shadgarbas. And each one of them is killed by our, number one, our fear of material existence, of getting caught up in it and our engagement in devotional service. And then once those uh, are, our attachment to the material world is diminished because of our fear and our engagement in Krishna's service, then Sankarshan, the guru comes, Balaram's the original guru, and sets the stage for Krishna to appear. So then we get when, we, when we're open-minded, we say, okay, I don't want the material world anymore. I'm actually afraid of death. I don't want to get caught up in the material world again. And, and we have devotional service. Then the heart gets prepared. Uh, the, the, we're open to the teachings of the guru who then ushers in Krishna. And he comes as the eighth, eighth child. The, the, our existence gets purified by hearing from the guru and we understand, yes, uh, my life is meant for this, is meant for Krishna. And then Krishna very happily enters into our life. So even the transfer of Krishna came from the mind and then the heart of Vasudeva to the 
mind and heart of Devaki. And Vira Raghavacharya said, this is what Diksha is. There's a transfer from the heart of the guru to the heart of the disciple that yes, you can just take shelter of Krishna. He does exist. He is your eternal friend. He is a person. There is a spiritual world. And we get that shraddha that yes, uh, the material world in all its twists and turns is a very dangerous place. I don't have to prescribe. I don't have to subscribe to it. You don't have to sign up. In fact, you can opt out at any time. And if you can't opt out externally, internally, you can opt out. There's a little section you go to, a link you click, and it says, would you like to opt out of the material world? And you push it, and then it goes, are you sure? You sure you want out? Most people don't opt out. You know, here's what you're going to miss. Here's all the products you're going to miss. We're coming out with our next line, and you go like, I'm sure. I never want to see your email again, sir. And you click it. That's when Krishna <laughs> says, okay, now I can come in. And so, you know, Krishna's appearance through the Bhagavatam is real. And it's, it's the, what actually saves us is his appearance, the personality of Godhead who appears in the Bhagavatam. And it's, the sage is so stage is so perfectly set for us for him to appear so that we can give our full heart because what are we going to be left with if we're just told that the material world is a dangerous place the material world is confusing it is as this bu famous bumper sticker says ignorance is awkward the whole material world is awkward what are you going to do uh now you know what to do because you can serve krishna and he shows through his pastimes that, yes, I'm completely lovable. Everything about me is attractive. A babyhood, as we've heard throughout the whole month of Damodar, I mean, Krishna, he goes around and uh, you know, plays with his friends all day long. They complain. He ate dirt. Mother showed, you ate dirt? He goes, I didn't eat dirt. They're lying. They're liars. They said I ate dirt. I didn't eat any dirt. They ate dirt. I didn't eat dirt. <laughs> Open your mouth. I'll see if you ate dirt. And inside, she sees herself with Krishna sitting on her lap. And then inside that, Krishna sees another Krishna goes on to infinity and all the opulence, all the, all the universes, everything. So who is this child? And she says, ah, forget it. She's my, she's my baby. I mean, this is the personality of God, but he's playing like a little child. And then throughout his pastimes in this little village, the, the, everybody loves him. He's, everyone's attracted to him. Everyone wants to hear about what just happened to him that day. And he's constantly doing amazing things like, a uh, big, uh, huge bird comes out uh, while they're playing and swallows Krishna. And then Krishna breaks his beak and uh, bifurcates him and then kills the bird. I mean, one after another, all the stories in the Krishna book and the Bhagavatam, it's what everybody's looking for through superheroism, but it's actually the real thing. And that's what can attract our mind. Uh, the Hare Krishna Ma Mantra, which is Krishna himself, and the pastimes of Krishna in, in 
their Srimad Bhagavatam. Plus the commonsensical instructions from the Bhagavad Gita. Prabhupada said it is the Vedic intelligence. Wow. If you get Vedic intelligence, what are you going to be walking around like, hey, where'd you come from, man? Where'd you get that? It's like, I got the Vedic intelligence. I downloaded it from the Bhagavad Gita, from that book right into my brain. <laughs> when you meet a devotee who's got Vedic intelligence, I mean, what more are you going to say? Except this person knows what's going on. And uh, you got Bhagavad Gita, you've got Krishna's pastimes in the Krishna book, and you got the Hare Krishna mantra, put in some prasadam on top of that, which is like, you know, everyone wants to eat. Okay, so what if you got philosophy? I'm starving. I got to go eat something. No, no, take this too. And you get something that you're, you're stopped immediately. All your senses become inert because you're like, there's something about this. It's the most tasty thing I've ever had in my life. And I got to have it again. I've become addicted. And it overrides the senses. Param Drishvanivartade. It gives a higher taste that one cannot deny. And then the association of devotees. They look like wild, crazy people, really out of step with what's going on at Walmart and Black Friday and everything. You know, uh, why aren't you watching the, the news? And uh, tuned into everything's like, I don't have time. This is too nice, chanting, dancing, feasting. And then people get swept away to the spiritual world. So we've got the real sense gratification and the foundation behind the scaffolding through which we could actually deconstruct the material world brick by brick in our lives, which is impossible for anybody to do, even great sages. Pantastu koti shatavatsara sambragamyo. Even the Muni Pungavanam, the greatest thinkers, they can't do it. They can't come close to the spiritual world. But if you meet a pure devotee, Prabhupada's a pure devotee. He came to this world and he taught, uh, here's Krishna. You can take Krishna. If, if he could... If Putana can be saved from it, you could. You know, the hippies come and people in India are going, ew, don't touch them. And Prabhupada said, you don't understand. <laughs> they're touching Krishna. Now they're pure. That's the teaching of the Bhagavatam. Anybody can become purified. Somebody at a political rally can become purified from their fervor, the fever that they've got. Uh, they're jacked up by the material energy and they don't, they're blind. But a blind person, even a blind person, can see by coming in contact with Prashadam and the holy name and the, and the hearing the Krishna book and the Bhagavad Gita. What a life! So, this is what we have. And uh, we have the, the greatest good fortune is we're camped out under Prabhupada's flag. He's the best of all pure devotees, so kind and compassionate to everybody that he just came with no other consideration except I have to give this to the world. And look at what he, look at the endeavor he made to get it all together. It's really hard to build a movement. And, and what it's speak of keep it going. So it gets off the ground and, and it can actually function how he how he had to work tirelessly so we can all do that too 
And, and uh, so what? It's hard. Remember the end game here. We're, we're not staying in this material world. This, this encampment we're in right now is a very temporary thing. Don't worry about the twists and turns, the so-called reversals of fortune. There's a purpose behind every one of them because you're destined for a much, much bigger thing. It's insignificant, this life. You just have to be inventive to get through it one way or another and uh, lean in to the chanting. It will save you. Lean into the Bhagavatam, read it every day, read the Bhagavad Gita and become Krishna's devotee. Manmana bhavamad bhakto madhyaji mam namaskuru mami parayana. That's easy because everybody wants to give themselves to somebody. I mean, look how easily people give themselves away to fools. They give, they give themselves away to despots. They give themselves away to false lovers. So how easily we give ourselves away. That's our nature. But if you find the right person to give yourself away to, you can do it with abandon. And you can have so much enthusiasm that when the kirtan starts, you just want to dance because you know that you're in the embrace of the master who is so merciful that he's called the ocean of mercy and you, you found it or he found you and you were smart enough to take it. So we're so lucky that we have this and everyone who's contributed to the Sankirtan movement has given their life to this process is the most intelligent person so we, we, sh we need to work together to maintain that intelligence. Don't lose it. And stay in the process that is nectarian and give it to as many other people as possible because then we see the effectiveness of it ourselves. Otherwise, we can forget if we get isolated. We just think, oh, it's an ordinary thing. But when you give it to other people, like Malini gave to a neighbor, hung it on the door, and he said, oh, I thought you didn't like me. But now, <laughs> you know, people come alive and you see that they're not doing anything. Nobody's doing anything in the material world. Picking a new cabinet for the, yeah, but what are you going to do? You don't even know what to do. That people don't know what to do here in the material world and what not to do. And there's just no fun here. The party was over when it started and nobody knows it. And it's a complete drag. But the music's playing in the spiritual world and the food's there. Everybody's going on an eternal festival party. So we should go there too. Hare Krishna. Om Tat Sat. Now let's see if you have any reflections or questions. I'm supposed to open up this grid here, aren't I? find out if anybody wrote in but you know what it's a sunday it's been a long week and you all have been working hard and if you didn't write anything on this thing i don't blame you because it's another extra thing you got to do i just wanted to so say don't that. feel like it yes i just wanted to say um when we came on today i wanted to ask you a question <laughs> and you answered it my um daughter's um, becoming a clinical social worker. And she said, I'm studying the Bhagavatam every day. And, you know, there's so much negative talk, nonsense, this fool that, you know, and so she was 
she says, I'm trying to build people up and encourage them. And, and sometimes it just sounds so negative. So I'm, I'm going to send her this talk of yours. <laughs> it's perfect. It's all about the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting phenomenon. The Bhagavatam's all good, and it's not negative at all. But, you know, sometimes people say it about Prabhupada, too. He's like, hey, he was very negative about, and, and also maybe even prejudice. What Prabhupada's prejudice against is the category of the material world and material consciousness. It's categorical. It, because the material world is illusory, and our involvement here is a colossal hoax. So every, every um, enactment of something that looks like it's serious here to somebody who's uh, not illusioned by the material nature, uh, it, it, it's uh, ludicrous actually. And it's open, <laughs> open for uh, criticism, uh, material consciousness. And so the Bhagavatam is purposeful in being critical because it's actually um, extricating us from the last vestiges of hope that actually I can make it here in the material world. And when that last vestige of hope is, is evaporated, we're free. Like Sanatana Goswami, when he left his entire kingdom behind and he had given the last gold coin to his servant, Ishana, he felt liberated and blissful that he was going to Lord Chaitanya and he just gave up billions of dollars and all the power in the world. And so Bhagavatam's trying to bring us to that position. I really liked, I really liked your uh, comment on um, the Superman phenomenon, the things that you want to be. But I was thinking more about the Maha Mantra and how um, uh, today morning... Um, I, I missed my 5.30 japa and I realized um, that, that, that that morning japa kind of does what, what these, um, these, uh, these supermen all have these super words that they use like shazam and then they become somebody else and stuff like that. And I was thinking that the Maha Mantra does that for us. When we really focus on the mantra and do our chanting, we become capable. We become better than what we are, more, more, more formidable a person. And, and that's I love that point. That's so nice. I mean, you know, as kids, I remember my my parents took us to the movie. I forget what it was called, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves or something like that. It was in black and white. There was some flying carpet there. And you said they, they would say something and actually fly in the carpet. I'd go home and say, you know, do any of these work? We'd sit on all of them. Like, how do, they, how do you work it? <laughs> the Bhagavatam comes along and says, you couldn't work it. These things are not out of reach. All mystical powers, everything available in Krishna. He's Yogeshwara, Yogeshwara. He's right there in his holy name. So I love that point. Shazam. You know, but we have, we have a mantra. It's so important to continually build up our faith in the chanting process because in getting out of the, the inertia of the material world, we have to have a point at which we have Param Drishva Nivartate. We actually get a taste th through which we, we know ourselves directly. We already saw it. it. It's not something, it's not cultural momentum. It wasn't the family I was born in. It's not, it's nothing to do with social pressure. It's like, I'm doing this because I already saw it for myself. 
And for every one of us, it's important to, to have that experience. And it comes through the chanting of the holy name. It's the incantation of all incantations that evokes our real um, relationship with Krishna. We can, we can see it for ourselves. Let's see what else. Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj. Oh, Hare Krishna. Thank you very much for joining so late at night. Um, so just on the last point uh, you were making before you opened up for reflections uh, on giving out, giving out the knowledge, you kind of, um, kind of sometimes gives you a reminder of, you know, what, how, what special thing we, we have just to just want to share two recent stories. Um, one, I was at the airport and I was, I was walking around and one gentleman, I met, met eye contact, one gentleman, and he just lit up. So I approached him with some books um, and he said, I actually, I have the Bhagavad Gita. I got it um, some few months ago from devotees in um, Palo Alto. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was nice. And, I, and he was so enthusiastic about the Bhagavad Gita. He took another stack to give to a family member. Um, and then uh, just one other lady, she took a uh, the Rishi set from us and she's been reading Krishna book. And just today she shared with us um, she was she was reading um, when uh, when when uh, the Kashvani comes and you know tells the eighth son will kill will will kill you, and so she was so enthusiastic explaining the story and I was just thinking man I I wish I was that enthusiastic kind of you just get reminded about you know you just see new people when they when they become so enthusiastic um, reading about Krishna and, and things like that it just it just reminds you like you know this is so special nobody else has this. <laughs> Oh, thanks for sharing those. You know, it, it reminded me what you said. Uh, isn't it nice too that it came from Palo Alto? Did you all do that, Kauta Carnival, and your house over there? You know, so it, it reminded me in the, when we used to have all the airports open, like any given Friday night, every single airport in America was covered by Hare Krishnas. I mean, there's no way out of it. And so, like I'd be at O'Hare Airport. And back then we used to sign the books because it was one of the ways. So he's like, let me sign that for you and sign it. And they're like, yeah. And hand like, just give a donation. But you already signed it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but anyway, a lot of times people would get off the other flights. They'd be coming in from St. Louis, Denver, you know, into Chicago. And then they'd have books in their hand. And then, you know, like, hey, where'd you get that? And they'd open it up and it would have the name of the devotee in there. And there's this sense that the whole country is covered, you know, everywhere people were going. And uh, also you kind of see, you know, if you trace these things, every book has its effect somewhere. It, it always has some effect. We can't see the circuitous route that it takes, but it's going to have the effect and uh, would be interesting to track it, wouldn't it? the life of one book and where it went, how many people it touched and so forth. Maybe we get to see that at the time when we're leaving this world. Like some yogis says in the Bhagavatam, some yogis, when they're leaving the world, they want to go straight back. And other ones like, I want to take scenic route. I want to see, see what was actually going on up there in the, in the uh, upper planetary systems and stuff. So it's not stereotype, Prabhupada said. So maybe... You know, we can make a request. They'll say, can you show me what happened to all those books and who I contacted and where they went? And <laughs> that would be a wonderful reminiscence, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, and your point about how when we see it in other people, how they become uh, awakened by it, then we can see it in ourselves too, like how lucky we are. That's why uh, <clears throat> Achyuta Bhava Prabhu was reminding us recently. He sent us this quote in which it, it said that we always have to have new people coming in because otherwise we become insulated and we just have our own uh, kind of group think, group speak and stuff like that. But when new people come in and insert themselves, you really have to um, uh, open up to make sure that they're getting everything they need. So it, it has to be um, a constant that people are coming into our midst who are taking up Krishna consciousness anew. It's very important. Thank you very much, Gopal. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. I was just remembering one of the incidents. I can't, um, I don't know where I read it, but there was one devotee who became Krishna conscious. Um, he was actually doing his laundry in the usual public laundromat and he found the book in the trash. So he picked up the book and he became Krishna conscious. So it was, I was just wondering, you know, when we give away lots of books, we also worry that, you know, what if they just leave it somewhere? But then every book has uh, a reason where it is, where, uh, you know, wherever it is put, it, put in. Yeah, we've seen that before. Divyanga tells a story about in Cleveland Temple, the janitor from the airport came and rung the doorbell there in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, where the temple was. And she had a reservoir of pleasure in her hands. And she said, is this yours? And, you know, they, they said, yeah, where'd you get it? And she said, I'm the janitor at the airport. And she said, I can't believe that anybody would throw away something so beautiful. And they invited her in. Uh, she wanted to return it. And she came in and had prasadam and things like that. So the, the, again, the journey of one book and where it goes, yeah. Subhadra says, my mother became, my mother-in-law became a devotee from a magazine left in a laundromat. Hey, there it is. Okay, there's a couple questions here. Danavari, why Lord Balaram killed Ramaharshan for a small offense? It wasn't a small offense. It was the biggest offense. Because, you see, he was Ramaharshan, uh, unlawfully assuming a, a position and taking adulation from those um, who he's supposed to be leading and he was showing them exactly the opposite of what he should have been. And so you also have to keep in mind that it's not a bad thing to be killed by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In fact, if that's... The, if you're going to go, that's the way you want to go, is be, <laughs> has be killed by, by Balaram one way or another, because Krishna's all good. His killing is as good as his embrace. So not to worry. But he does come for this purpose. The, the, the reason it, it's an egregious offense is because the fulcrum of all power and movement in this material world is ideological. And if people aren't situated properly, then they become led astray. And the whole purpose of the material world is for that is for reformation. So if the teachers become bad, 
and they're teaching the wrong message, then we know from Sri Shapanishad, don't we? Somebody give me the verse I'm thinking of. You know, one result is obtained from knowledge, another from ignorance. And there's a way in which, you know, so-called knowledge is, be- is worse than ignorance. Because if you're a so-called teacher and everyone's respecting you, and then you're actually teaching them the wrong thing and taking them away from Krishna, then that's worse than somebody who's in abject ignorance and teaching that. So that's why it was such an egregious offense, Donavari. Okay, anonymous. If a devotee uh, suicides while thinking of Krishna, what happens? Um, really depends on a lot of things. Um, suicide is... Uh, really an unfortunate situation because you're destroying property that's not yours. And that it's violent also. It also doesn't help. Of course. Yes, Prabhu. Um, maybe Sanatan Goswami and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Yeah. You know, Sanatan had this idea. Good good call there, Sri Vasprabhu. Sanatan had this call, had this idea that my body has these sores. I've come to Jagannath Puri to worship Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but I'm just making offenses. I'm such a useless person. I can't even go near the temple because I'll contaminate the Bajaris. And Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is embracing me and I'm making offenses. So what is the use? So he got it in his mind that he would commit suicide. And how is he going to do it? In the presence of Mahaprabhu, he would dive in front of one of the wheels of the Jagannath cart during the Rathayatra. He didn't tell anybody, but one day when Sanatan and Haridas Thakur were together at Haridas Thakur's little kutir, Mahaprabhu, in the course of conversation, says, you may not commit suicide. This is not approved by me. And he said to Sanatan, that if I knew that I could attain Krishna by committing suicide, I would have done it thousands of times already. The devotee, sometimes out of disappointment, uh, thinking that my service is so substandard, may think like that. But then actually, he is... um, enjoined by Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu not to do such a thing. Of course, Prabhupada said his father had stopped drinking water uh, in order to, because his body was so uh, broken that he just stopped drinking water. And then, you know, in a few days, he left his body. And uh, Prabhupada also stopped drinking water. And he sort of indicated that I mean, in some circumstance, when the body is completely finished, and then if if one's in an ideal situation and he stops drinking water, then that is a, a circumstance that's a little bit different. That's why I said there's different circumstances. But what happens? It's not recommended. So, 
Chaitanya Marv said, don't do it. And I don't know what happens. It really depends because you could uh, you could make an offense and then you have to make up for that also. Yes, please. So Maharaj, I was thinking about Chota Haridas who also committed suicide, but he had to be in a ghost body because of cutting short his life, although. Yeah, actually the the speculation by some of the devotees was that he got a ghost body. Mm-hmm. But actually Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, actually he, he had attained a spiritual body through which he was actually coming and serving Mahaprabhu. And so that was confirmed by Surup Dhaminar. He's When they, they said, some of the devotees said they knew he had, had uh, drowned himself in the Triveni and then they said, uh, oh, you think he's got a ghost body? And Surup Dhaminar Mara said that, that that conclusion is not correct. And uh, then Kaviraj Goswami reveals how Chota Haridas was coming in in his spiritual form to sing, sing to Mahaprabhu and serve him in that way. And he he was used in the service. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu used him in his service to show that uh, he would not tolerate uh, hypocrisy, in, uh, in, especially in the renounced order of life. Thank you, Maharaj, for clarifying that. Yeah. You're welcome. And, and Vaishish Prabhu, can I add one last point on this? And yes, please. If you are uh, second initiated by your spiritual master and you are committing suicide, then you are not only guilty of suicide, but also killing of a brahmana. So that, that also kind of goes on your head. Just an added benefit or bonus to your suicide. So. <laughs> yeah. Well... Oh, look, it's Mukharavinda here. So let's see. He says, thank you for inspiring us to take Srimad Bhagavatam shelter to get oneself vaccinated against material nature. Sometimes I found that even after understanding the wisdom, one still does the same mistake, which has been warned by Srimad Bhagavatam again and again. So I would like to understand what I am missing. Could you please help me? Well, you know, learning something and then uh, <clears throat> making a, having an error in judgment and then noticing that is, a, is one of the ways in which we really get to know it. I mean, there are different ways of learning, but Prabhupada says in the light of the Bhagavat that missteps in devotional service may not be detrimental. They may become the pillars to success. For instance, I, I know people who have had uh, missteps in Krishna consciousness, but then willfully made up for it and then became stronger. And they have that memory of, of what not to do and what it takes to have a comeback and so forth. And they become very, very determined. I mean, one of them is Bharat Maharaj. He, uh, not that I know him personally, but I know him from the Bhagavatam. He slipped from a very high position and had to take a deer body and boy, did that make him determined. You read the story of Judd Bharat, and he's really determined. He doesn't want anything to do any, any more with the material world. And if to come to that attitude it takes many, many lifetimes for most people. He got it in a couple. And a, a lot of the precursor to coming to that mood that I'll never do this again, uh, sometimes when there's a, a mistake, and we see, oh, how foolish I threw away what I already had. 
And um, I was on the TOVP building once with a devotee, an old god brother who had, um, you know, really slipped a long way. And then we had climbed all the way to the top, actually. It was when it was first being built. And on the way down, he was saying, it takes so long to come all the way up here, but you can slip down in a minute. And he was so wistful about it. And I could tell that it had gone deep within him that, wow, never do that again. You better be careful. It's, uh, you know, it leaves an impression that can make you more determined. So nobody's recommending that we do that. But, you know, one time, one of my god brothers, after he was initiated, he went to Prabhupada and said that I am having a really hard time following the principles. And Prabhupada looked at him compassionately and said, one day you will walk. And you're like a, a child. When it's learning to walk, it gets up and it slips, falls down. And in the, in the wrestling to try to get up on its feet, it's developing balance, muscle, and everything like that. But you know, in the Bhagavatam, in the fifth canto, in Rishabhadeva's teachings to his sons, he talks about how a teacher should be with well teaching Krishna consciousness. It's very instructive. He says this. If one is serious about going back home, back to Godhead, he must consider the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the summum bonum and chief aim of life. If he is a father instructing his sons, a spiritual master instructing his disciples, or a king instructing his citizens, he must instruct them as I have advised. Without being angry, he should continue giving instructions even if his disciple, son, or citizen is sometimes unable to follow his order. Ignorant people who engage in pious and impious activities should be engaged in devotional service by all means. They should always avoid fruit of activity. If one puts into the bondage of karmic activity his disciple, son, or citizen who is bereft of transcendental vision, how will one profit? It is like leading a blind, male, a blind man to a dark well and causing him to fall in. And this section particularly caught my attention. Without being angry, he should continue giving instructions, even if his disciple, son, or citizen is sometimes unable to follow his order. So it's uh, learning. Uh, everyone goes through a process. The point is to keep keep the process going because... It gets baked in over a lifetime through the various ways in which we uh, we can e we even test it. Like sometimes kids, they'll be very enthusiastic about Krishna consciousness. And then because changing from one era of life, one body to the next, sometimes is that the perspective changes, the circumstances change, and then... Sometimes kids think like, God, did I think of this or was this all imposed upon me? And then they become, uh, you know, wayward 
and then when but it's when they decide that no i actually i'm a soul i'm not a i'm not this body and this is what i want to do that's when it actually becomes uh highly effective i mean it's always effective but when we we learn from our own uh interaction with the material world that and we decide for ourselves this is the right thing to do and we have that perspective then then we're unstoppable despite whatever situation we're in in this world and i'm not saying you have to become wayward at any time in order to attain the perfection of life i'm just saying it's quite common <laughs> but it's also uh it, it's not ultimately i'll read it to you it's not ultimately prophet says detrimental because of the power of devotional service just for your appreciation just happened to be in this book okay devotional service to the lord never goes in vain just at the right moment the result of one's particular devotional service will come even if one has no desire for it the pure devotees do not wish any return from the lord in exchange for their service they do not make business exchanges with the lord but the lord out of his own accord fulfills all desires of the devotees it may appear that a devotee of the lord is becoming poorer and poorer in terms of material prosperity but factually he is not the typical example is the pandavas the five brothers headed by king yudhishthira underwent all sorts of difficulties because of the conspiracy of their cousins headed by duryodhana but in the long run king yudhishthira was enthroned by lord shri krishna and his enemies were vanquished king yudhishthira was never disturbed by all the calamities that overcame them even though lord krishna was ever their companion the pandavas never prayed to the lord for anything but his devotional service and in due time everything came out in favor of the devotees a devotee therefore should execute his devotional services with full energy endurance and confidence he should perform his scheduled duties he should be pure in heart and he should serve in association with devotees all six of these items will lead the devotee to the path of success one should not be discouraged in the discharge of devotional service failures may not be detrimental they may be the pillars of success one must have good faith in the regulative principles followed by the self-realized souls and one should not be doubtful about the ultimate result of such devotional service so encouraging words so we're at the end of our um kartik tomorrow i think is is tonight or tomorrow the full moon tonight tonight is the full moon and many moons come and go but the kartik moon is uh, the most heartfelt because we're we're it's a time when we take stock that we're giving our whole lives to krishna and one year after another goes by 
And when those add up, then there's more and more possibility that one can make a complete success in life. So it's good to get on a roll and really um, add, add up the successes by just sticking to one service. So we have opportunity to um, excel more and more in what we're doing here together. Somehow we all landed on the earth planet at the same time. And somehow or other, we're all together in this one little place called Silicon Valley. And we have an opportunity to take this very brief situation that we're in right now and turn it into something that will be world renowned. I mean, it's already happening because of your hard work and dedication in many different ways, but it's just the beginning. And so on this Kartik day, we pray, dear Srila Prabhupada, dear Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, dear Sri Sri Radha Mohan, dear Sri Sri Lakshmi Dishingadev, if you so desire, please give us the intelligence and the vision to expand this kind of Silicon Valley in such a way that we can make it hospitable for people from all cultures to come and learn the science of Krishna consciousness. Please also let us expand book distribution from this place to fulfill the heart's desire of Srila Prabhupada to see book distribution on a level in which it is inundating the earth planet with transcendental knowledge. Please let us develop all our programs here in exemplary ways. And please give us the heart to cooperate with one another and love each other in such a way that we can please you, the Supreme Personality of God and Lord Chaitanya. Thank you for considering our request. All glories to Kartik 2020. Go pray with me, Haribo. Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, hey, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman.